Ready? Born ready. Fuck it. Love this guy. Guys, welcome to Nathan Cage Interview Podcast. On the couch there, I've got James Burke, business coach. James and I have known each other for a few years and we've been discussing all things business, maybe growing up in Manchester. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe some tough times, but all the good stuff. We're going to be discussing the good stuff today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you like the content, give it a thumbs up. If you don't like it, thumbs down. And if you don't like it, also make a comment why you don't like it. But look, we're going to smash out some great content today. James, absolute pleasure. Yeah, Thank you, you for coming all the way down. Um, I suppose look, people want to know who James Burke is and what the business coach is all about. But let's take, take us back a little bit further, right? There's going to be loads of good stuff coming up, but I want to know a little bit more about James, right? And how this started because I know you've been through some tough times so just take us back to maybe where that started like boxing days maybe cool so I started boxing when I was 12 um, I grew up on a rough council estate in Manchester um, there was a, a big family as well so I've got six sisters and one brother but he was smart he left he went he moved to Germany so he uh, he abandoned the nest he abandoned all the girls left me with all the girls <laughs> to sort out the boyfriends and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So that was my life growing up. Really big family, really small house. Um, like I said, on a rough council estate. So typical really of any council estate in, in any big city, there was tough times and tough people as well. So one of my friends got shot just at the back of my mum's house. Yeah. When we was getting a little bit older, maybe 16, 17, something like that. And that was kind of environment that it was. So again, to, Quite traditionally, there was a boxing club that opened just literally a couple of hundred yards away from where I lived. It had moved areas, opened up, kind of like a new launch. So I'd just gone around to check it out. I didn't have any like cool story like Muhammad Ali started because someone stole his bike. That's why he started boxing. Tyson had been arrested 38 times by the time he was 13. Wow. For me, my story was just the gym opened up. So, I went <laughs> so it wasn't quite as cool. But when I walked in, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. You have like a, this this smell hits you, the leather. I walked in there, absolutely loved it, and never looked back. So that was me from the age of about twelve. Yeah. Went with a few mates. They all started to drop off as it got tougher. Started competing, won my first few fights, that kind of thing. Started showing a little bit of promise. Uh, I was never really the most talented, mm -hmm. but I worked so hard. Yeah, and I loved it as well, which makes it even easier. So, so the truth they say then. So talent isn't always enough, is it? You've got to have the dedication. You've got to have that hard work. We've seen so many kids that are in the gym and there's, there's lads now who used to box when I boxed who I still talk with, still see frequently. And they're so talented. Some of the most talented lads that would have been if they had my work ethic and I or, or I had their talent, yeah. world champions for sure. Wow. Uh, and big time world champions making some serious money. So the hard work has got to be there. Sure. If you're not willing to work hard and you don't love it, talent's not going to get you there. Growing up in, you know, from a cancer state, doing boxing, what was a real tough point in your life? Because obviously, you know, you had your sort of family around you, right? From a younger age, like yeah. your sisters. Um, tell me about sort of the later teens going into sort of early sort of working life, as it were. Cool. So I was, I started to get into trouble at school when I was about 14, 15 is when I was always a little bit mischievous earlier than that, first couple of years at high school. But at 14, 15, I started getting quite violent, a lot of fighting, uh, practicing what I was doing in the gym out on the streets and started to get in trouble with the police, started to get excluded and stuff from school. Mm. So I started to get in a lot of bother. At 16, I, I, was, I was out of control really. So um, I was homeless at 16, left the family home at 16. I was homeless, spent my first night um, in an outdoor toilet 
Wow. So that was rough. That was that was one of the lower moments of my teen years. Sure. That was really tough. And just sitting in that in that toilet, because it's only a few months ago that I'd been boxing for titles against really big names on the amateur scene. I'd been really popular at school. Everybody knew who I was and everyone knew me as the boxer. So to be homeless, yeah. it sucks you young age as well. 16, I was still a boy. I was kind of sat there in this outdoor toilet. I'd chosen that just because no one would see me. Yeah, I, I was really passionate about that. I didn't want anyone seeing kind of my fall from grace. Yeah, sure. And I remember just sitting in there shivering. It was freezing. That cold has never left me. I wow. was absolutely freezing. And I remember just all I could hear was the wind. It was a really windy night. I remember hearing the wind battering against the door. The door was kind of coming to slightly. Wow. And just kind of looking at my feet all night while I'm shivering. I was wet as well because I'd run um, to find the shelter when it had started raining. And I, I said that's my first night sleeping rough, but I didn't really sleep that night. I was just kind of sat staring at my shoes. What thinking, goes through your mind? Like, did, so coming out of that, you know, look, being homeless isn't nice. And I've been there as well. And I, I sort of have an understanding, but everyone's story is different. At what point did you think I need to get out of this? And how did you get out of that? Because you are now a successful businessman. Yeah. How did, what was that first step and what did you do? What was the action you needed to take for you to get out of that situation? Good question. It took me a long time. There was a lot of kind of below the line behavior at that point. I was blaming everybody else. I was making excuses and I was in denial that it wasn't my fault. I was blaming anybody and everybody. I was blaming yeah. my family, the school. It's never your fault. Yeah, the guy <laughs> who had punched, you know, it was, it was everybody's fault but mine. And it took me a long time to have that realization. I'm talking years. I was I was around 19 before I'd kind of my behaviour was that destructive. Yeah. I'd ended up in a hostel. I got kicked out of the hostel. I went to four colleges. Got kicked out of all four. Um, got in trouble with some local gangsters. That kind of thing. Um, and that brought a lot of fear as well. So that was quite tough to admit at the time. But I was terrified. So I had all these kind of emotions: anger, fear. It was crazy and it took, it took a long time. I probably spent about 18 months homeless between sleeping on people's couches and sleeping in parks and abandoned toilets and sleeping rough and that kind of thing. And still trying to hide it from everyone but my nearest and dearest, my cool. closest friends knew. Why is that? Why do you think we hide it from our nearest and dearest? Because they're the ones that we should be able to go to for help and advice, right? Yeah, so sorry, they're the ones that did know. Yeah, so oh, my, they did my, know. My ah, closest okay. friends knew, because that's whose couches I would keep on. I see. But at this, at this point, I was still 16, 17. Yeah. So it wasn't their house. No, okay. It was the parents' house. Yeah. So ultimately, I ended up, you know, I'd run out of favours. Yeah. Do a couple more nights rough. So like, get this kid out of our house. Like, yeah. He's been here enough now. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and then someone else would take pity. Yeah. So that's the reason I didn't want anybody else to know, because I still had this reputation and I still had this image to uphold. So I was still trying to do that. So all of this kind of chaos, like I said, getting kicked out of the hostels, the colleges, getting into trouble, it had all just kind of hit me. And when I was around 19, I was in my, I got in a relationship, my first kind of proper girlfriend, other than all the messing around that I'd been doing when I was younger. And she was the thing that, that straightened me out really and helped me to understand that, right, actually there's all this lifestyle, there's a different way, there's a, better, there's a much better path. But I was kind of, I think subconsciously as well, I was kind of enjoying the attention of all this pain as well. 
kind of enjoying people feeling sorry for me and that kind of thing, yeah. if that makes sense. Which doesn't make any sense to me now. No. <laughs> Furthest thing from where I want to well, be We don't now, know any different back then. Exactly. So that was a real big moment. And at around 19 is when I was like, right, so now I need to make something of myself. So I went and got my first job. Got my first proper job. I went to my fifth college, which I ended up graduating after, <laughs> after two years. And got my job, kind of got my head down. And then I decided to turn pro as well. Wow. So that was kind of, uh, around 19 was you turned your life around. Was Yeah, that pivotal moment. Thanks to her. Yeah. In some, so, in some yeah. ways, yeah. Yeah. Where did it go from there? So you took your first job. So let's, let's move away from the boxing because I want to know more about the business side of things. What, do you remember your first job? I know we met at a property company. What was, your first, what was your first job where you sort of really started to excel at? Cool. So my first job was in hospitality. Yep. So I worked in a stadium doing, and I literally just started um, kind of working behind a bar and that kind of thing. In fact, I think I was just serving drinks because at foot I worked my way up to get behind the bar. That was kind of the thing I had my goal on is <laughs> yeah. I really want to learn how to pull a pint. Yeah. So... I literally just started at entry level, asking people what they want to drink, go and getting the drinks for them, that yeah. kind of thing. Which again was quite a, I remember having a, a chat with my manager at the time and saying, this is quite hard for me to do this. I'm not really into this thing of, of, of serving people because I still had such a big ego. Yeah. Whereas obviously now it's the opposite. All I want to do is serve people. So yeah. that was really, that was really tricky for me. But I worked my way up. I, I mean, I was a little bit older than some of the other staff because they mainly recruited from the college, mm-hmm. so everyone was 16, 17, whereas I, at this point, was 19, 20. So yeah. I was one of the older students in the college just because I'd been kicked out of so many before. So I think just that little bit more maturity, that more life experience, and I've always been smart and been able, I've always been a problem solver. So I ended up being promoted pretty quickly there, just through the normal ranks that you do in hospitality, supervisor, and ended up being a deputy manager. So that was quite a well-paid job at the time for my age. And like I said, I just turned pro as well. So together, I, I was kind of building an income stream. Probably at that point at 19, I was already earning more than I ever thought I would in my life, wow. which was probably only about 18 or 19,000 pounds a year. <laughs> yeah. But that was probably more than I ever thought I was going to earn. So at that point, I was... You are sweet. I was sweet, yeah, yeah. I was boring. So <laughs> um, then not long after that, I had my professional debut. Mm-hmm. So that ended in disaster. So again, this all this promise, I had the local press doing adverts, I was on a big billboard oh, outside God. the stadium, yeah. all this kind of thing. And from the first, from sitting down at the end of the first round, all my friends were there, sold hundreds of tickets. And it was um, a televised show, so it was one of Sky's shows. Sky weren't with Matchroom like they are now, they was with Frank Warren. Yeah. So it was a Frank Warren show, it was televised. There'd been all this talk of me turning professional. And at this point, the story was already, he's turned his life around. Mm-hmm. And that little did I know, the worst was yet to come. So I sat down at the end of the first round. This kid was a lot shorter than me and he tried boxing just exactly the same way everyone throughout my amateur career had done, trying to get on my chest, which was ideal for me. Kind of jab, move, throw long shots, throw my power punches. And at the end of the first round, I felt real comfortable, won the first round, sat down, stood up for the second and my legs had gone. Ooh, I was gone. I was. And I, I just remember thinking, what the hell has happened? I yeah. turned so hard. And got through the second round, but right at the end of the second, I'd thrown a shot in the first that stunned him and wobbled his legs. Went to throw the same shot in the second, jabbed downstairs, right hand over the top. And he caught me at the same time with a left hook, and I just felt my jaw go. Completely different point. I don't know if you've ever been punched, but it just feels like you've been pushed hard in your head. This felt different. I felt the pain straight away. 
So the adrenaline hadn't eased it. Went back to the corner at the end of the second round. Coach tried to take my gum shield out and I turned away. You can't, don't touch, don't touch. I knew something was wrong. Yeah. So he gave me a good speaking to, what are you playing at? You made the first round so easy. You made that so difficult for yourself. And I said to him, my legs have gone. And he was like, get out there and box. You've worked so hard for this. Get out there and fight. Third round, I just remember trying to keep him away from my jaw that was it just causing me so much pain and just trying to tough it out. That yeah. was always my mentality is just be tougher than he is, just mm -hmm. work harder than he is. I was never the most talented, always, always had the biggest heart. So I remember trying to do that, but because I was also thinking about my jaw, I lost that round. So it's going into the fourth round now. This is the last round in your first fight, you only do four rounds, or usually you do four rounds. Yeah. So I remember going in thinking, if I win this round, I'm just going to draw. So I'm going to have to drop him. Yeah. I'm going to have to get a 10-8 round to win this fight. So that's all I was focused on. Not a clue what my coach said to me at the end of the third round. Just to battery. To this day, yeah. I just remember just being in that zone, but also feeling a lot of pain and a lot of, again, crazy emotions because this was just supposed to be my coming out party. This was supposed to be short work. I was supposed to knock this guy out. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm sat here at the end of the fourth round, like, I need to drop him just to win. Yeah. Or I need to win this round just to draw. So... Um, it didn't end. The fairy tale didn't happen. I didn't get the knockdown. I lost the fight. Yeah. Um, How was? What's the feeling after that? So you something that you expect to win. Yeah. You lose. That is now out of your comfort zone, right? That is now something I like to discuss about, which people feeling out of their comfort zone. <gasps> like, what am I going to do next? What is the comeback from this? Because surely, if you're then feeling like a low point and you can get past that, it should take you to a higher level, right? Yeah. What happened after that? So it did, so you're absolutely right. It did take me to a higher level, just not in the direction I thought I was going. So um, the day after I went to the hospital, I couldn't eat. I, couldn't, I literally couldn't open my mouth wide enough to eat all the food that I've been dreaming of eating for 10 weeks through the camp. <laughs> So I knew something was wrong and I, and I hate going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. hate waiting in the waiting rooms, but I knew I had to go. So I went to the hospital. They diagnosed me with osteoporosis uh, once they realised my jaw was broken. Because at this point, I didn't know it was broken. I just knew it was hurting. Yeah. And then uh, I got a letter from the British Board of Boxing Control saying that I, you know, I, would, I would have to pass further medicals and, I would, and basically I didn't, so I had to retire. Yeah. So at that point, you absolutely right, it was a change in direction. And I had no idea what I was going to do in my life. From being 12 years old, all I ever wanted to be was world champion. Sure. I had no idea that I wanted to be a businessman. I didn't even know the first thing about business. And I certainly didn't want to do hospitality for the rest of my life. That was just to earn a, a few quid on the side. So I was stuck. So it was like I'd lost my identity because yeah. everyone knew me as well for being the boxer. And it was like, well, now you can't do this. So what, you do? So what does everyone know me as? Yeah. Right? Who am I now? Because I'd that was all I'd ever wanted to do. So I had a real identity crisis. I was very tough. And at that point, I got severely depressed. Mm -hmm. So I suffered really bad with depression then. I was off work um, and I was ended up being diagnosed with psychosis because I was having a lot of violent outbursts, basically. Wow. So I'd gone back. I'd moved forward five steps and took 10 steps back. So that was really difficult. Um, I knew I got sectioned at the same time. I was suicidal, so I'd really kind of... The boxing was the last, the straw that brought the camels back. I yeah. kind of had, I'd had this temporary uplift of this professional dream, right, let's make it a reality. But all them years of hardships on the street had 
kind of this box in a pour on top of them. Yeah. So basically, your subconsciousness, the feeling, the doubt, the the unworthiness, the insecurities just came straight back. Exactly. And ten times, because the thing that you are hold that small thing that you are holding on to which at the time was everything in your life, yeah. had then disappeared. Yeah. And all of a sudden, those, all those old insecurities are playing where you're in that toilet on your own, homeless, going from play, all just come back, and without the boxing or the toughness. Exactly. All gone. Exactly. Rock so, bottom. Being tough enough wasn't enough in here. No, it wasn't. And my had passed away at about the same time as well. So that was really tough, I was really close with her. And one of my friends, so I went back to my old amateur gym, so it took, it took me a couple of months to leave leave the house. This was kind of as the depression was building. Yeah. So between me retiring and getting really hitting depression, I went back to my old amateur gym to see my old amateur coach who was like my mentor. He was a real father figure to me. And he gave me some great advice, put his arm around me and that kind of thing. And one of the lads in the gym who I'd trained with my entire amateur career, he was called Baz. He was, he was like a a role model of the gym. He was the guy, everyone in the gym looked up to this guy. He was built, he was built like you, short squat, built like a, um, built that like was. Hercules, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, really cool guy though, really nice guy. Had a great life himself, great wife, beautiful kids, great job. And I remember him pulling me and sitting me down on the outside of the ring and sitting with me and saying, listen, things have got tough, but no matter what, you tough it out. Things are, no matter what, you keep going. Yeah. Don't ever quit. And then it was about two or three weeks later, and Baz killed himself. Wow. So that was the last time I'd ever seen him. And I found that really difficult to deal with. Especially when someone's telling you not to quit. Exactly, and how tough must it have been for him to say that? Of course. Going through whatever he was going through that made him, made him do that. So that was really tough. That was really tough, and, that, and, and not long after that, I'm not saying Baz doing what he did was the instigator of that, that was just something that I really that really confused me. Um, but a couple of months after that is when the depression hit Keep really in. hard. Then coming out of depression, obviously it does need you know counselling, help, support from people. Where did you go to to get that? So at this point, thankfully, it, the death of my nan brought me back in touch with some of the family that I'd not spoke to since leaving the family home at sixteen. So thankfully, you know, thank God because. They really supported me. Like I said, the, the girl that I was with at the time, who was the reason that I'd started taking life a bit more seriously anyway, she supported me. So I had, a lot of, I had a lot more family support than I had when I was homeless. But to be honest, as helpful as that was, I'm a firm believer that your life changes in one moment. And it was just a decision. Again, I was sat and I'd gone overweight. I'd stopped boxing now. So I'd gone from burning 5,000 calories a day to um, and, and, and being on a really strict diet, not diet lifestyle, yeah. to being able to eat whatever I'd want and dreamed of eating for the last uh, <laughs> eight years. So I'd, I'd, I started eating really terribly as well through all this depression. I'd put on so much weight. So I had my last fight at 11 and a half stone and I'd gone up to 17 stone. Wow. So I'd put on so much weight. You must be a big guy, because you're a tall guy. So anyone yeah. that doesn't know James, you must be what, six foot something? What, six, six foot four, four. yeah. <sighs> You must have been big. Yeah, yeah, so I went, I put on a lot of weight and it went to all the areas that you don't want it to go to. <laughs> no, of course. Um, and I remember sitting there again in my underwear, off work with the person I had been for months now. It was probably about six months or whatever. And just sitting there in my mum's house, back in my mum's house at 20, thinking, overweight, looking at myself in my underwear, thinking, 
Never again. No. Never again am I going to be in this position. And my life, literally, for I was on medication and all these kind of things, but for everything that that was that was it. that was the moment. Yeah. And never looked back. Amazing. How did you get from being to there? You know, from being at 17 stone, one of your lowest points in your life, depressed, to becoming a business coach, where you now get people from like almost from zero to a million pound, right? Yeah. Isn't isn't that where you get people? Isn't that that's the plan? That's what you do, and this is how you now you inspire people to build their own businesses. How did you? What was the the point in your life where you thought? I want to make people wealthy and I want people I want to give value back to people. So it took me a long time. At first I was just worried about getting myself out of this hole. Yeah. So now I'm all about serving, helping people as much as I can and you know I spend as much time now trying to help others for free as I do Tell me, my own paid work. Tell me about the business coach. I want to know more about the business coach. And I'm, I'm sure people do. Like people listening going, right, you know, he's done all of this, he's been depressed, he's been rock bottom, he's been a boxer. How has he now got to becoming a business coach for you? Yeah, so it, start, it started with small steps. Like I said, it started with that moment. And then the, at first, that's the first thing. Just make the decision. Yeah. That's the first thing. Same thing with the business owners. Make the decision that you want your life to be better. Mm-hmm. That's the first place to start. And then know your end goal. Know where you're trying to get and take the first small steps. Yeah. And make those first steps as easy as possible. Because if you make those difficult, yeah. it's like if you're on a diet, right, and you go straight in mm-hmm. and you make it such a difficult diet that you, it's, it's difficult to even start it, you're going to fail. Or there's a higher chance of you failing. Sure. So it was just taking the first steps, get back to work, lose yeah. a little bit of weight, all the stuff that, that people generally do in a day-to-day. And then it was, I had this choice to make, so what do I do now? So boxing's over, what do I do now? And I drove past an estate agency yeah. for years, and it was on the high street in the town that I lived in. And I always drove past and thought, that's a pretty cool job. So I went on and, and literally applied for every estate agency job on the planet. And I was, got an interview with a firm called Express, who were in the heart of Manchester city centre, which for me was ideal, because yeah. I loved the city. So I got that job um, and I progressed really quickly. Same kind of thing that had helped me progress in hospitality. It was just a curiosity. Wherever my weakness was, I was trying to learn. I was always trying to bridge the gap. I was yeah. always trying to better myself and a, and a big work ethic. Yeah. So I grew there, promoted there. Then I was offered a job back in my hometown. So on the, in the outskirts of Manchester, in the same street where I'd seen, where I drove past previously, different office, but same street. Yeah. I was offered a job there and I ended up becoming branch manager there and I'd only been in a state agency about 18 months. Wow. So I'd gone from literally answering the phone to booking viewings, yeah. not knowing the difference between a leasehold and a freehold, <laughs> not knowing what a vendor was, yeah. to being a branch manager within 18 months. 18 months after that, I was on stage winning a national award for the most improved business in the brand. Wow. And it, so it was At the time, it was the biggest estate agency brand in the country. So. That was a major achievement for me. Number one out of 300 offices. And again, I was a junior branch manager. I'd only been in the industry at this point three years. That's crazy. So then I'd, I'd really made a reputation for myself. And I suppose I was starting to develop an identity that I'd lost through boxing. And I ended up working uh, as a motivational speaker, going into schools, telling my story. At yeah. this point, I was still telling from homeless to success. Yeah. Um, and, and what a journey it's been just since that point. So. I was going to schools and colleges and that kind of thing, getting paid as a motivational speaker. And 
from seeing my motivational videos and from working with me in the past, a guy that we both worked together with, yeah. um, it hit yeah. me up about an opportunity mm -hmm. for Yopa as a regional director, which was really great pay, more yeah. money than I'd ever earned in my life. And again, just through kind of what I've done in the past, yeah. Duncan got on, to, on, on to me and said, listen, we've got a great opportunity for you here. So I jumped at that, got the job and really started to make way to earning my first kind of six figure year, which was, which was massive for me at that point from, I mean, this is still only maybe seven or eight years after being homeless. So probably less than that, probably more like six years. So from, it's quite quick success. Yeah. From literally being signing on yeah. to uh, my first Over six, six figures. years in, in about six years. That's very good. And people would say, some people are, you know, there, there are some um, inspire, like influence out there who go, oh, that's so slow and you can do it in a year, two years. It's nonsense. Like it takes time, right? Yeah. It, it does take time, especially from where you've come from. You know, this, it's coming from signing on for 35 pounds a week, you know, being homeless to going to earn six figures in seven years. It's quite phenomenal. Yeah. Once you know how to jump through the levels, it, it, you, certainly the, the acceleration is quicker, right? It, yeah. it speeds up the acceleration. But like you said, the, the, the most difficult part is from getting from zero to probably 20 grand a year. That was the most difficult part because yeah. you don't know how to earn money. I've never been, no one had ever educated me on no, how to true. be wealthy, right? So good shout. That was the most difficult part. But then from there, I left Yopa and I really wanted to make a difference. So yeah. for me, it was about this journey and it was like continuing the long march towards a prosperous planet through kind of abundance. That's something I'm really passionate about. So I wanted to really continue this journey and this, this vision. And I really believe that we can we can't perfect the business world and we can't work out all the business problems unless we do it together. So that was huge for me is helping other business owners come through the struggles, get out onto the side and make themselves and their families happier, right? Because that's love what we that. do it for. So no, that's true. That was, that was absolutely huge for me. We're all different. And for me, unless we understand that business in itself yeah we've got to learn how to perfect business in itself as its own sector mm -hmm. because it's completely different to what most people do most people go into business because they were great at their technical aspects of their job estate agency hairdresser mechanic yeah an it it doesn't matter what it was yeah but you go into business because you're great at what you do but yeah. no one teaches you business yeah so a big part of it for me is we're all in it together we're all from different industries but we all have one common hope Love and that was huge for me. We might not look the same. No. We might all come from different places, but we're all heading in the same direction. And oh. together, and that for us, everybody is just trying to make a better planet, a yeah. more prosperous planet for children and grandkids, right? So talk to me about why and what is business coaching? Why do, why do people need business coaching and what is it? So why do people need it? So the first, probably a couple of answers to that. First one I touched on earlier is most people go into their job or, or they've left the job. They probably left the job because they were working for an idiot and wanted to start for themselves, right? Yeah. And now they understand that I'm working for a lunatic. <laughs> so they're working for themselves. But they might, like I said, they might have been a great hairdresser, but being a great hairdresser is part of your delivery, isn't it? You delivery of your products or your service. Your delivery is probably about maybe four or five percent of the whole business journey. You've wow, that's all it is. Yeah, you've got so much other things to consider. Your planning, your finances, your time mastery, all these kind of things, sales, marketing, team, 
getting the best out of your team, management, leadership, what's the difference between management and leadership, systemizing, synergizing your business. There's so much more wow. to it. Yeah. And most people go in with it with, with kind of this naivety of, but I'm great at cutting hair, yeah. so my business is going to be great. And you will provide great service to your customers, I'm sure of that, but that doesn't mean that you're going to run a good business. Sure. What, what does it take to run a good business? So you talk about strategy and finances and we talk about marketing, all this sort of stuff. What is it that makes, how, do you, how would one go about by starting a good business? So they know their product is great. What's the next step to making their business great? So yeah, that's a really good question. So there are a few things. One, your marketing is massively important. If you're a startup, if you're a new business, your yeah. marketing is so important. And the difference between marketing and sales, marketing is about generating leads, generating people inquiring about your business or knowing about your business. Yeah. Just kind of hearing about it and hearing about what you do. Sales is then when you take that relationship that you've created and build on it. Okay. So one of the questions that somebody asked was, how do I generate more leads? Yeah. So that depends completely on your industry. Mm -hmm. The biggest piece of advice I can give you on this is test and measure. So whatever marketing you're doing, test and measure. Because when you've got great information, you make great decisions. Yeah. With no information, we're guessing. Yeah. And guessing doesn't work very well in business. So there are tons of ways that you can do it. These, it depends whether you're time rich or cash rich. Mm -hmm. If you're time rich and cash poor, which most new startups are, then you've got your social media is a great way, that, which, which you're great on. You've got networking, things like that. You know, it can cost you 20 quid to go to a networking session and there might be 30 people there. So it's a lot of people that you can get to speak to. Tons of things you can do if you're time rich. If you're cash rich, again, right on the opposite end of the scale, you've got TV, you've got radio. Altogether, there are about 84 different strategies that I use with my clients. And it all depends on their industry. Yeah. It all depends on where their business is in the journey as well. Yeah, okay, so you can't just brush them all and do, you can't tell everyone exactly to do the same thing because it doesn't always work that way, right? Exactly. All right, so let's say for instance now, I've got my marketing right and I've got the leads coming in and let's say I'm doing a few sales and income is good, but say my, my team is a bit negative or I want to keep my staff motivated. How yeah. would, what's a good way to sort of motivate staff within the business? So engage them. Yeah. Engage them is the best way to motivate Give me an example so, how you'd engage them. What most managers you're gonna see do, and, and, and again, there's a big debate between management and leadership, but what you're gonna see a lot of the time is if someone's performing poorly, give them a kick up the backside. <laughs> now, the best thing that you can do is to coach them, right? Mm -hmm. And a great coach is gonna ask great questions where they're gonna come up with the answers themselves and then hold them accountable to fulfilling their obligations, what they've said that they're gonna do, basically. Fulfilling the realizations. The biggest thing though is engaging everybody in your team. So there was a survey done over in the United States and it was a global survey. It was done by the Harvard Business School and they found that fit the reason that 58% of millennials are choosing their jobs now mm -hmm. is on purpose. The purpose, their purpose and fulfilling the purpose or the business's purpose. So, okay. so it trumped uh, salary, it trumped hours worked, it trumped location. Wow. 58% choose on purpose. Now, by 2025, estimates show that 75% of the workforce is going to be millennials. So a great way to get everybody in your team engaged and motivated, if you want to use that word, inspired is another great word. I think inspired is better than motivated. It's, it's by having a vision for yeah. the business and letting everyone be a part of that. If you all feel like you're heading towards the same destination and you mm -hmm. all feel like you're making a difference, that's great. 
So Starbucks have a great vision statement. Do they really? It's, it's not just on a statement, it's, it's so much more than that. Your culture's got to mirror the statement as well and your vision. But their vision statement, can I consider these guys just make coffee, right? Yeah. Their vision statement is to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one cup, one person, one neighborhood at a time. Wow. It's incredible, right? Yeah, it's now, quite you, powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. If you work for Starbucks and yeah. you know, nurturing the humans, wow, you're going to be drawn to that. Yeah, true. But how would, okay, so let's say, for instance, I own a business. How would I, how would I sort of deliver that message and how would I can maybe come up with my own vision or come up with my own purpose? How could I deliver that to somebody? Because you've got another vision and purpose, which I really liked for your book, yeah. which I loved. And you told, we can discuss that later on, but... How would I come up with something? Is it something that you just feel? Is it like this big dream? At the end of it, you say like, I want to inspire the world. Or how do you sort of come up with that vision? It's important to take a little bit of time with it. The certain different personalities, and I work on this as well, that's another big part of management and leadership. People fit into different personality profiles. There are some personality profiles that want to, right, I've had a great idea, I've seen this podcast, so a great idea, I want to go and get a vision statement today. Yeah. And some, of, some different personalities will really take the time with it. It's important to spend a little bit of time on this because it's going to be big, right? Yeah. It's, it's going to be really important and, and powerful. So spend a little time on it. Don't rush it. Work with a coach is my best advice to kind of help you with that. But there are tons of things. The how is always accessible because we live in the information age. Sure. So you can find all these kind of things on Google, workbooks, workshops, seminars. How is easy. The how is the how is the easy bit. Yeah. The why is important, which is part of your vision statement. Yeah. And the what, it's important to do it in the first yeah. place. But that's really going to help manage the team and, again, understanding the different personalities within it. What do you think is the difference, then, between leadership and management? Because that's a very good question. So this is another important part of the team. There are, there are 10 or 15 different really strong segments of running a high-performance team. And one of those is absolutely your vision. Second one is knowing the difference between leadership and management. So I'll give you a good analogy. If we were out in the Amazon rainforest cutting down trees, the manager would be the one who's down on the ground with the troops, telling them which tools to use, telling them which trees to cut, telling them, the, telling them a little bit more of the specifics, and then anyone who's, who's not performing as well, they would maybe switch them around in roles and that kind of thing. The leader is up at the top. They've climbed a tree and they're telling them which direction. They've got the vision. Now, the point of this is the big debate is that everyone should be trying to be better leaders. And yeah. managers is like a dirty word. <laughs> but it's not. Management is absolutely critical. Mm. You cannot be a great leader without first being a great manager. Best example of this, Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, yes. He was a great manager yeah. well before he was a great leader. Mm -hmm. He managed the team really well. Yeah. So I think it's time. We've kind of gone through that stage of in the 80s, management was really important. Now we've, we've, we're kind of in this phase of, well, actually, it should be leadership, but I think there's some confusion there. It's not management or leadership, it's both. Yeah. Both are incredibly important, and that's what I'm trying to do with my clients and with anybody watching the video, is trying to do a U-turn and understand that it's not management or leadership, you need both. So do you think you become a great leader from becoming a great man from being a great manager? Yeah, you manager do. first. You don't think you can just become straight a leader? Well, I, I don't believe in you can just become a great leader, because that's just talk. Yeah. For me, anyone that says, oh, I'm a great leader, I inspire people, but you haven't done anything yeah. to be able to inspire people, like, or you haven't shown that there's a way of how to do it. Yeah. So think of this, think of a business mm -hmm. with a great leader, someone who was a great leader, but a terrible manager. 
So he's given the team the freedom to make their own choices. Yeah. He's given the team the direction and he's given the team the vision. But he's not telling them exactly how to execute. Yeah. He's given people too much freedom because there is certainly a thing as too much freedom. It becomes a great leader with no managerial skills becomes chaos. <laughs> the business becomes chaos. Flip it on its head. Could you have a successful business where the person in charge, the, the more senior person is a great manager, not a good leader? Of course you could, yeah. yeah. They could be a great manager, but not a great leader. They probably wouldn't be as effective, but they could certainly 80% of the way there, definitely. So management is more important in the aspect of without it, you fail. Yeah. Without leadership, you don't fail, you're just making it harder for yourself or shortening your own results. But management definitely has to come first and then think of leadership as a promotion. So people will say, okay, fine, that's great, James. You know, you want to help people build their businesses and make loads of money. How do you go about you building your own business? So for me personally, again, sharing my vision and helping people as much as I can. The more I give, yeah. the more I tend to receive. So do you believe in that? The more you give, the more you get back? Definitely. Yeah, it's true, absolutely. isn't it? I, the, a lot of people that I've met that have been really successful have always said, just give and it, will, it does come back. Yeah. But at what point then do you stop giving? Because if you're not seeing a return at some point, when then do you think something's got to change? Because there is such a thing as, I believe if you give, 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 but nothing's coming back. At what point then do you go, well, I need to start working back on receiving something? Yeah, so I'll, when I'll, I will give as, as much as I can in both time and finances for, for, for free and, and, and give like crazy, but when someone's serious about exponential growth in their business, yeah. well, there's huge value in that. And unfortunately, it takes that much of my time. I can't do that for free yeah. because I still have my, and, and again, the more I make, the more I can give, the bigger difference I can make. So for me, it's still massively important to earn. Mm -hmm. But again, that's through working with clients who want exponential growth in their business and who are serious about, about making it as well. So. There is a fine line, but the two are very closely influenced as well, and they kind of look after each other. There's kind of a natural balance to it. Yeah, I think you're always gonna, you, you know, that you need to, you know, put food on the table and that kind of thing. So, and you and you want to grow your own wealth and invest sure. and that kind of thing. So, you're always looking after yourself, but then giving is because it's not natural for us to just give instantly. Yeah, it is natural as I. Our brains are, <laughs> you know, our brains are, are designed to survive. Two million years ago, the only instinct we had was a survival instinct yep. from, uh, you know, animals out in the wild. So that's <laughs> never going to leave us, I don't think. So I, don't, I never worry about giving too much yeah. and not looking after Fair ourselves. Because you, you would know at some point I need to be able to do action something in order to sort of get what I need out of it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Going back to starting your business, right? If there were three words of advice, if there was three things that you do on a daily basis that sort of keep you getting to where you want to get to, what, what would those things, three things be? Yeah, a morning routine. A strong morning routine is really important. If you win the first hour of the day, you win the day. So a strong morning routine is absolutely pivotal for me. So I spend a little bit of time in silence. Some people might call it meditation. Okay. You can call it what you want. But I spend a little bit of time in silence, clearing my brain, getting myself ready for the day. Then I'll do my affirmations. You are what you repeatedly tell yourself. There's a part of your brain right at the back called your reticular activating system. Some people, again, know that as the law of attraction. Yeah. You become what you tell yourself. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with someone and I say to them, how are you doing? They'll say to me, do you know what? I'm really tired today. Mm -hmm. I'll say to them, 
guess how I'm going to feel for the rest of the day now, Nathan? You're going to feel tired, right? <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you ask me how I'm doing, you're going to get one or three responses and it's either spectacular, fantastic or great. Yeah. Okay. And it's going to help me, right? You're going to prime yourself. So yeah. my, my first hour of my day is all about priming myself for the day. Affirmations, visualizations, some exercise and some reading as well. Do you believe then if you tell yourself something enough times, enough times, it will happen yeah. or it will feel like that? Absolutely, yeah. Your brain, that's what, so that's what your reticular activating system, this is science now, not theory like the law of attraction. Your brain guides you, it takes you in that direction. So it starts spotting the opportunities. Yeah. The best example I can give you of this is when you've gone and bought a new car mm -hmm. and you never saw that car on the road, right? You're driving out of the dealership and you see five of them on the way home. <laughs> or you buy a new t-shirt, same thing. You've Why never is seen this? that before. Why so that's this? your reticular activating system okay. telling you that that now is relevant information. Yep. So once you've primed your mind to say, right, this is where I'm going, or this is relevant information to me, it starts noticing the opportunity. So if you're saying to yourself, I have a goal, so as, as you spoke about, my goal is to make a difference to a million people. Yep. Opportunities have started spot jumping out everywhere where I can help people. 100%. And I, I was having a debate yesterday with somebody and I said, look, you know, if you think about it enough, genuinely, it, like, it will happen. It will just start to happen. It's the same like if, about the car. So what you're saying is, you know, if you think about it enough and believe it's going to happen, Will it happen? Yeah. So what actions then do you have to take then to make that become successful? Well, that's the important bit. Theory is great, but without action, right. nothing happens. So do you, if, right, because people talk about it, so people will then see the opportunities, but then they don't do anything about it. Yeah. So many times I hear, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, and they have all these great ideas, but nothing ever happens. How does somebody then get that motivation, that drive? What's that the next step to sort of, get down to the hard part. How do they find that? So your vision's got to be strong enough yeah. and you've got to tell yourself, you've got to tell yourself the right things as well. So if my vision is to help a million people, then you've got to tell yourself you're the kind of person that does that. Yeah. And, you, and again, your brain, your brain doesn't know the difference between reality or not, your subconscious brain, your reticular activating system, doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not. So as long as you tell yourself enough, that's why things start materializing. So it's not an accident, it's just you, you've conditioned yourself. So that's massively important. Do you think then, let's, let's take you back to sport, right? And because you use the analogy of Sir Alex Ferguson. I played football since I was six years of age. And there's some times where I've thought, I'm going to score a goal on that day and it's going to look similar to this and it happens. Has that got part of it? Yeah. Like there are absolutely. some, if you, if you speak to some footballers, you just said, I saw, I saw I'm going to score a goal. Because have you ever noticed where a, a player will lift up his shirt and it has a, a thing saying, like, a memory of someone or a child's yeah. name and you think how do you know he's going to score and is that because they just constantly believe that this is going to happen this is going to happen this is going to happen yeah, he's, he's primed himself to score so it's not like a or i don't believe personally that it's like a fate thing it's like you've primed yourself for it it's you've put yourself in the mood and in the zone you've done all the things right to set you up for success it's crazy so it's not necessarily a law of attraction like if I just put stuff out into the universe, it's going to happen. It's, yeah. You're making it happen with the actions that you're taking. Yeah. So, for example, if I said, right, in one month's time from now, I'm going to run a four-minute mile, and I really believe that strongly, and I work on it, then the action starts today. And yeah. I'm going to do everything in the next month to help me run that four-minute mile as best as I can, including the day before, having plenty of rest, eating right, sleeping, that kind of thing. So you've primed yourself for it. It's not an accident. At what point, though, does something become not achievable like and so there are some people where you, do, does that goal have to be realistic 
Because someone might say, might believe like, I don't know, I'm gonna move that laptop with power of my mind in a year's time. Probably not gonna happen, no? Or could okay. it? So I don't really deal with what's not achievable. Uh, so many people have done so many great things. Elon Musk, so if Elon Musk was in an interview, I think it was in 2007, you can find this on YouTube, and 2017, sorry. You find this on YouTube and he was asked, the interviewer was in disbelief. So you pick up the story and he's saying to Elon, hold on a minute, you're telling me within 12 months you're going to have an electric car that can drive itself? And Elon's saying, yeah, within 12 months. Well, guess what? We've got the Tesla and it drives itself. <laughs> so if you would have told me 10 years ago that that wasn't possible, that that was possible, no way. No, People true. would have said that that was realistic. So, Yeah, I suppose everything is actually possible. Eventually, like it, something will happen because the only thing that you can ever imagine in your head is something that you've probably already seen. So uh, you can't. I don't think you can imagine something that hasn't already happened or you haven't seen it before. So if some, if you have seen it happen before, it could. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I know what I'm trying to say. I can't get it out. But yeah, I know what you mean. I would just, I would just spend more time worrying about what you can do than what you can't do. That would be my advice. My go, son, yeah. the, the word can is banned in my house. Really? Yeah. Is, literally, he gets a smack on the hand every time he says it, and he smacks me every time I say it. Do you think egos get in the way in business? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. And the reason I think that is because I don't think a lot of people, a lot of people like asking for help. So when you asked me earlier about three things that would make a successful business owner, one of them would be employing the right team. And that's not just your employees. Think about it when you talk about elite sports. Your top boxers on the planet have a nutritionist, they have a coach, they have a strength and conditioning coach. They have all these different people playing, and they even have great lawyers and that kind of thing yeah. as well. So marketing teams, hate, you know what I mean? Uh, PR teams, everything. So same thing when you're running a business, don't just wait to employ your first salesperson and then your first person delivering the product look for help as well yeah so that can be with a coach or that can be with any there's a, there's a million things out there that you can use to help. why would someone have a business coach i mean is it account is it just an accountability partner what is a business coach so the business coach like i mentioned earlier most people go into business and they're great at what they do but they don't understand business sure so that's the first reason yeah the first reason is to understand business secondly again you just touched on it accountability if i was an entry-level personal trainer, yeah. and I would come to the gym with you, and you did your usual routine, and just at the end of every set that you did, I just said, right, I want 10% more. Mm -hmm. You're gonna A, train harder, B, you're gonna commit to doing it, and C, you're gonna come out stronger, right? Yeah. So accountability is incredibly powerful in itself. Mm -hmm. um, and the third thing is just real world-class business education. That's what, that's what the, the vast majority of businesses are missing. 96% of businesses fail. Yeah, ninety six percent fail from startup, and that doesn't mean that the four percent that survive why is are that a profitable yeah. or happy? Right, <laughs> they might still be running at a loss and yeah. miserable, not seeing their family. And to answer your question, the reason that is is because of a lack of business education. Mm -hmm. Because they might be a great hairdresser, yeah. but they don't run a great business. We work on a few keys to leadership. One of them, and, and running a high performance team, not just an average team, not a good team, a high performance team. One of them is communication. Yeah. The best way to communicate with your team is face to face. Now, whether that's in a one to one meeting or in a team meeting, if you've got anything important to say, or you're trying to motivate and inspire, get away from email. <laughs> okay. So one to one meetings, I would say the manager would be doing that more often. 
the, the leadership or the leader in you would mm-hmm. come out more in a team meeting, right? Because yeah. it's more kind of public speaking. That's going to be where the vision is. That's going to be where the inspiration is. And telling your team about any great news and that kind of thing. So they were kind of intertwined. You would be the manager more often. You would be the manager daily. Yeah, okay. You don't need to be a leader daily in, in every business. Okay, you don't. You can. Okay, fine. I want more of a personal question for me. Why is it you've decided to write a book? What, what was it that gave you the inspiration? What is it about the book that you want to sort of... So if anyone doesn't know, James is writing... Can I mention the book? Yeah. yeah. So anyone doesn't know, James is writing it. Or you have written a book. Yeah. Uh, what's the book called? The book is called uh, The Journey to Wealth and a World-Class Mindset. The Journey to Wealth and a World-Class Mindset. Why did, what inspired you to write this book? So two reasons. One of them, from the people that I was working with point of view... The biggest change in the business that has to happen is with the business owner and the business owner's mindset. Mm-hmm. The business cannot grow past the owner. So if the business, if the business owner's here, the business will always be here. Yep. As the business owner grows, the business grows. The yep. business can't overtake them. And that all starts with personal development. Because again, the business owner needs to learn, educate, etc., in order to grow the business. So that was the more transactional, the more logical reason. The second big reason, which was my vision, which we've touched on, is I have a personal vision to make a difference to a million people by 2030. So the book was a huge, huge leverage in being able to help as many people for really cheap. I mean, the book's going to be around £15, so for really cheap, this book can literally change your life. And I just couldn't think of a more leveraged way to do it. So really out of my comfort zone, my skill is not sitting down writing. Mm-hmm. My skill is speaking and being in front of people, but I knew I had to do it. I knew it made sense and I knew it was going to really help people. So that's so, what inspired me. So what is James's end goal? What's, what, what, so people say, yeah, he's, you know, he's written a book, amazing. He's got his own business, a successful business. What's the end goal for you? Like, where are you going to? What's your end drive? What's your reason why? Yeah, so it's just to keep giving and inspiring. So once I hit my, the furthest goal in front of me right now is to make a difference to a million people, 2030. I don't have any goals past that. Nothing, okay. I'll reevaluate that as I get to the million people and then it will become 10 million or 100 million people. Okay. So the feeling that I get from helping other people, it's just pure fulfillment. It's, it's not like when you do something for yourself. So for me, that is an ultimate level of joy. And that doesn't just have to be... Um, people out in the street, that doesn't just have to be people who are in a deprived situation, that can be your nearest and dearest, right? Your family, your friends, your loved ones, your children. So it can literally be anything, but when you make a difference to another person's life, it touches you a lot more than when you buy yourself a nice watch, right? It really does, and it's, it's, it's more fulfilling than anything else. Like money, whatever it might be, is more fulfilling because it gives you a self, it gives you your worth. Yeah. Like I am worth something to somebody, which is better than being useful to a car or whatever it might be is it about the money or is it about something more than that no the money's good but the thing that drives me to make more money is again to give and contribute because it's that will start with my family so i want my little boy to have the life that i never had growing up he's already had an incredible life we already live a very full life sure so he's already got it great Um, and my new partner lauren and my youngest daughter lily who's just a couple of months old i want to give them uh, things that i've never had and i want to see the smiles on their faces and likewise to be fair my partner lauren is exactly the same she's a huge giver she's really kind and generous so we kind of share that we share that passion 
and then that will go further afield. So that will be, like I said, already in the progress of and have been for a couple of years of helping people wider out in the community. So whether that's speaking at local schools for free or whether that's helping homeless people, we do that every year. Whatever it is, we're just trying to make a difference to as many people as possible. And from a selfish reason, because it makes us feel great as well, as well as making a difference to people. Yes, yeah, that unselfish act, like a selfish, an unselfish act for a selfish reason, sort exactly. of like you being unselfish, but you, you feel good for doing it. There were so many people that helped me. When I, was, when I was that 16 year old boy, like I said, the amount of, we kind of talked about this passively, but the amount of couches that I slept on, yeah. and the amount of friends, and, and the mother of my friends, who would give me, uh, there was one in particular, and she would give me shopping bags with food out of, a, out of the wow. cupboards, just, just so that I was eating. So the amount of people that helped me, I, I've just got to repay that now. That is amazing. If you were to give one message to any young, aspiring entrepreneur, business owner out there, what would it be? Read a book, read a book a week. That's gonna make the biggest difference. Wow, a book a week? A book a week. If you read a book a week for the rest of your life, I promise you, you will be successful and get wherever you want to go. But it's got to be on the subject that you're trying to grow on, right? <laughs> and my second tip on that, uh, extension of the book tip is reading blocks. So if you're trying to develop your marketing, read six, seven books on marketing in a row. Don't go from marketing to team to self-development and then read um, a book or, uh, that Katie Price has brought out or something like that. Keep it in blocks because once you've read six blocks on marketing, you'll be so confident. You'll have s such a vast array of knowledge yeah. that you'll be able to you'll be able to bring as many leads as you want into your business. So reading blocks. I have noticed that. I mean, the average CEO reads what sixty books a year or something like that. Sixty books a year. That is that is insane. But they genuinely do read these books, and I've noticed it. The more that I, you know, that my last sort of four or five years of life. I haven't actually read any books, but I have listened to audiobooks. So I'm dyslexic, so I can't read. So there's no excuses. You can listen to the books as well. Um, but the point is, I suppose, that knowledge is, is great, and you're just learning from these people, and they're not, there's no secrets to it. Like, it's, it's hard work. It's yeah. dedication. It's having a vision at the end of it. It's giving back. You know, it's all these little things, and believing that you can do whatever you want to achieve, you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing is impossible. Like Nothing is impossible. And as you start reading, you've just kind of touched on that is, you're going to notice that everyone, especially in self-development, even in marketing, the same principles apply. Marketing is a, it's a formula. The, the, the marketing, the formula for success in marketing, there's certain rules that you've got to follow. And the same thing is true in self-development. You're going to quickly notice that everyone's saying the same thing. They're saying it's slightly different and some will stick with you better than others. But everyone's saying the same thing because generally success is a formula. So yeah. the amount of books now that are labeled the formula for success, and that's why, with, with a good reason, because generally speaking, this is how you do it. So yeah, it is. the average CEO reads, like you said, 60 books a year. Is that cause or effect? And I have that debate with anybody because they don't, it's not, they didn't start reading 60 books a year once they made it to CEO. No. The 60 books a year got them to CEO. CEO. Yeah. So read I mean, the books first. That is true. Another great point you made, doesn't just have to be books, whatever your learning style is. So now yeah. we live in a technological advanced world, so it can be audio books, it can be videos. You, it can be attend seminars. If you attend two seminars a week, great. You're going to learn as much as, as reading a book a week. Because generally speaking, if you can read a book of someone who's great and who's got 20, 30 years experience in doing what they're doing, yeah. so for sales, for example, mm -hmm. if you read a book from a world-class salesperson, one of the best on the planet, 20, 30 years, doing what the best that they do at elite level, yeah. you can condense that information in a week. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You can learn it? what they've learned in 20, 30 years in a week. Do you know the difference is though, James, is that the people that say that I really, I want to do it, and there's people that say I want to do it and then do it. Yeah. So like, 
the knowledge is all out there for you. Like even today, you'd have learned something to take back with you. And it's either your choice then to go and action on that. So you've got the knowledge, now go and do it. Half hours basically. So most people, so you say most people work, most people are on social media, what, three and a half hours a day? Most people on social media, three and a half hours a day. So you can always find time to learn, right? You yeah. can, the average book is four to five hours long. So take an hour a day off your social media. You can still go on there for two hours a day yeah. and read a full book in a week. So there's no excuses. No. But my working week is becoming short. I work so hard at the beginning mm -hmm. and, and putting in the hours when I was in startup mode. And now as I'm in growth mode, I'm really winding that back. So I've gone from working five day weeks. I never did more than five days yeah. because I really believe in spending time with my family and friends at the weekend. Gone from working five long days in the week, basically, yeah. to four and a half hour days now. So nine to five, Monday to Thursday, and then half a day Friday. That will reduce yeah. just to Monday, Thursday soon. I'll, I'll remove the half a day on a Friday, and I'll just keep reducing it because I'm finding ways to leverage my business to manage my time really well, and I'm very, very effective at what I do because I'm on top of my time. And that's something we touched based on earlier, where you know, when you start up a business, you're time rich, cash poor. Yeah. So you've got the time, so put in the hours at the yeah. beginning while you've got the time. Don't think it's all gonna come and sit in your lap and go, oh, your business is amazing, I'm gonna give you loads of money. It's not gonna work like that. Like, you have to put in those hours, that graft first, for it to come back later on. And then once you are a bit more, sort of, less time rich, but you've got a bit more cash, that, that's when you start using your time wisely, right? Yeah, so now I can pay people to do things for me. So if my, for, for example, if my average wage, if my average wage per hour, if I've got a figure in mind, yeah. I'm not gonna do anything manually underneath that. So if, for example, if I rate myself at a thousand pounds an hour, then I'm not gonna be cutting the garden, no. cutting the lawn in the garden for t what I can pay someone 10 pounds an hour to do, right? So it's, it's, it's definitely about leveraging the difference between your time and your cash. And yeah. now I'm in a grateful position where I can pay people to do True. the things I don't want to do. But certainly if you're start on mode, absolutely spend all your time and think of your business, think of your business in terms of billboards. You need to put as many billboards out there as possible. Not literally, <laughs> but in terms of get your business seen yeah. as many times by your target market, which is the most important thing in marketing, mm -hmm. get as many of them seen as possible. Yeah, I love that. Guys, today we've had James Burke on the couch. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. If you've liked the content, give it a comment, give it a thumbs up. If you don't like it, give it a thumbs down. That's fine. All of James's details will be below and they'll be tagged, of course, through the uh, for the video. Uh, this, If you're listening on podcast, all of James's details will be in the description. Guys, thank you very much for watching. James, once again, thank you. My pleasure. Bye.